Welcome to the Just Start Tech podcast brought to you by Central Valley Christian School. This is your source for growing in your pedagogy by hearing stories from others on this journey just like you. Because learning never stops, it just starts. So here we go. to the Just Start Tech podcast. This is our eighth episode, and I am so glad to be bringing you these tips, ideas, and stories from other educators. My name is Nathan DeGroat, and I am a technology coach at Central Valley Christian School in Visalia, California. So here we are at the beginning of a new school year. Our school is already a few weeks in, and I'm sure there is some of that back-to-school excitement still going on. Hopefully new things that you're trying are working out well, and if they aren't, then that doesn't mean you failed. Every day is a great day to reflect on what went well and what didn't, and then learn from it. Remember that just because something may not have worked right on the first day doesn't mean you have to go back to what you were doing. Keep trying and keep taking risks. If you are new to the podcast, we usually follow the format of discussing some pedagogical topic and being challenged with a question or something to try. After that, we hear an interview from a teacher who is taking a risk and trying something new with technology integration. Finally, come the jump starters. These are quick, actionable tips that you can use right away. Before closing the podcast, I share a quote that motivates you to think about education. In this episode of the podcast, though, I am going to forego the interview section. I want to share with you in depth what my role looks like this year and how I can help support you with the awesome things you are doing in your classroom. Later on, we'll continue our discussion about the four C's, focusing this time on collaboration. Lastly, I will share some jump starters that you can use right away in your classroom. So let's get started. Towards the end of last year, I met with our administrators after taking some time to reflect on my practices. We wanted to discuss the impact of my role here at CVC. While there were many educators who reached out looking for advice or help in their classrooms, we still had many on the sidelines. We also wanted to see what effect these changes had in the classroom. We didn't really have that much data to look at except for what teachers had mentioned. So we decided to look at more of the coaching route after hearing about this project called the Dynamic Learning Project. This year our school will be incorporating the DLP coaching model. I'm so excited about this opportunity because I get to work closely with a few educators at a time where we get to focus on specific challenges within the classroom, and it makes it more personalized for that teacher as well. I think that I will have a greater impact on you, and then you will have a greater impact on your students as well as your other colleagues. The best part about this for me is that I also get to go through some additional training and mentoring, so I'm learning in this process as well. This means that I get very quick feedback and support through a DLP mentor who can help guide me through the coaching cycle. The ripple effect of this will be so much bigger than me doing this on my own. So let me explain a little bit about a coaching cycle so that you get an idea of what goes on. A typical cycle lasts for eight weeks with a ninth week being a time to wrap things up if we still need to finish anything up. The cycle uses a five-step challenge-based coaching model. So the first step is identifying different challenges that you face in your instruction or in your classroom. What are some of the things that just 
maybe keep you up a little bit. You're like, I really wish that I could make this better. Once we identify some of those challenges, we want to figure out, all right, which one do we want to focus on? Once we have that, we investigate possible strategies that we could use. The important thing here is that we're really emphasizing strategy over tools. We really want to focus on the pedagogy and the why before just throwing technology at it. Once we've kind of looked at and reviewed a few different strategies, we need to select a personalized one, the one that's going to really fit your classroom and what you're doing already. By focusing on just one strategy that's personalized towards you, we can really see the effect of it without other variables coming into play. After selecting the strategy, we begin to implement. And this means setting goals for what we want to achieve with the strategy. It could be that we're working together through a co-teaching. I could be modeling the strategy for you so that you can do it well the next time. Or it might just be me observing the strategy being implemented by you and taking some notes or looking for different things. And then finally, we reflect on that strategy implementation to see if it went well or see if there are things that we need to tweak. Finally, once the cycle itself is completed, we'll reflect on the whole process and what progress we made. So I would love to have you be a part of this program. Right now, I currently have a group of teachers for this first eight weeks. But if you're interested in tackling some challenges in this way, you can definitely have your shot. I'll send out a form within the next few weeks to gauge your interest for our coaching cycle that will start in the second quarter. Let's take a moment to review those four C's of 21st century learning. They are creativity, collaboration, communication, and critical thinking. In the previous two episodes, we focused on critical thinking and communication. There are some great resources in those episodes, so I encourage you to go back and check the show notes or take another listen. When we talk about critical thinking, we often focus on the task of solving problems. So think about the types of things students are doing in your classroom. How much of it requires them to think about a strategy and apply it to a problem? How often are students reflecting on this process? These are such important components to developing this type of mindset. Reviewing communication, we must really consider how much is being communicated to us and our students, both visually and in words. We must also remember that communication is a two-way process. It requires that we convey our message appropriately to our audience, but it also requires being able to listen effectively and understand someone else's message. How do your students communicate? Is it strictly through one medium? With whom are they communicating? Is everything just being shared with you and not their classmates, another classroom, a school, or the community? Digital tools change the way that we can communicate, and students need to develop fluency in a variety of media. With that in mind, let us think about collaboration. Looking again at the Educator's Guide to the Four C's, P21 defines collaboration in a few ways. First, being able to demonstrate the ability to work effectively 
and respectfully with diverse teams. Second, exercising flexibility and willingness to be helpful in making necessary compromises to accomplish a common goal. And thirdly, assuming shared responsibility for collaborative work and valuing the individual contributions made by each team member. As you consider collaboration, think about how this takes place in the real world outside of school. We have so many databases of information that are comprised of the effort and knowledge of groups of people. While Wikipedia is often deemed as an unreliable source, it's a great repository for general information with additional resources for information. And these are all curated by people who are knowledgeable about a topic. And many businesses adopt a collaborative model because they know that thinking together will generate much more powerful ideas than in isolation. If this is the model of the workforce, then let's give our students some applicable experience. So what does collaboration actually look like, though? Well, let's take a look at some non-examples first. So collaboration is not a group project where each person does their own piece and then brings it to the group to put into one presentation. While we have a group being responsible, oftentimes there's little collaboration and communication within the project. Instead, groups could work on each piece together, being able to ask clarifying questions as needed. Alternatively, an individual could be assigned a task or a portion of the assignment, but to increase collaboration, that individual should bring it to the group with his or her ideas, some problems, and the progress that he's making, asking for feedback throughout the process. While individuals are responsible for their own portions, they're still seeking feedback and guidance from their other group members. Another thought about collaboration for versus group work is the emphasis on learning. Oftentimes when we think about a group project or we create one, we're looking for that final product. What's it going to look like in the end? This will often mean that we got those free riders doing minimal work, while those who are so driven by the grade will do extensively more work because they want it to be perfect. In a collaborative project, there needs to be emphasis on the process as well as the product. Each person must be accountable to others and to themselves. Doing a project in this manner requires checkpoints throughout. An example of this project comes from the educator's guide mentioned previously. Students form investigative teams, and each team is asked to investigate the crime rate in a particular city represented by the variable X. The teams then formulate a question about a possible causal variable. What causes this? Which would be why? Such as, are crime rates lower in cities with a larger police force? Or are they higher in cities with higher poverty rates? Something like that. This first portion is something that the group discusses together. So they're talking about it as a group, as a whole, figuring out, okay, what do we want to decide on? Once they have this in place... Students collect data on maybe 30 to 40 other cities to compare their individual city's crime rate. During the process, team members check in with the team as a whole to see how their data collection is going, or maybe there's some modifications that they need to make. Once this step is complete, the team is able to regroup and analyze their data, defining the relationship between X and Y 
then drawing conclusions, and developing a way to present the data to their target audience. Throughout this type of project, students are using a variety of skills, and they can document their process throughout the data collection period. As you probably notice, communication skills are essential to collaboration. In order for students to collaborate effectively, they must be able to communicate their thoughts, but also listen effectively. The way that students communicate with each other can show how valued each team member is. So as you depart, think about how can you model effective collaboration skills for your students? How do you already collaborate with your fellow colleagues? Being a part of a network that seeks to better each other is a great place to start. Consider joining a Facebook group, following educators on Instagram and interacting with them, or getting active on Twitter through Twitter chats or including things on specific hashtags. There are so many people just like you who are passionate about growing in their vocation. You just have to go out there and connect. Jumpstarters, I want to share with you some tools that you might use to help your students practice collaboration. Firstly, I've mentioned this tool several times, but Google Jamboard is a great whiteboarding space for students to brainstorm their work. This could be a great way to get started on group work by having a shared whiteboard. Everyone is able to contribute their different ideas, whether that's through drawing or writing or sticky notes and organization that way. Secondly, you can also consider doing a breakout game, whether a physical one or a digital one. Putting kids in these situations can lead to collaboration, especially when answers aren't quickly noticeable. Oftentimes, kids will get frustrated when they don't get it right away, especially if they're one that things come naturally to. But this becomes a great opportunity for them to use the group wisdom. Thirdly, you can develop a scavenger hunt for your students using a tool called Goose Chase. While Goose Chase can be used in a variety of situations, there are plenty of opportunities for education. Scavenger hunts, especially when there's clues that need to be solved, require collaboration. Whether that means the group has to do something together or they have to talk and think about the answer. I will include some examples of Goose Chase used in education, as well as a video on how to get started in the show notes. I want to end with this quote from Jose Popoff, a physics and chemistry teacher. Teaching is not my job. It's my passion. Getting better at it, that's my job. I hope that you have a passion for teaching, that you love what you do. Just like we want our students to grow and get better each day, we as teachers need to understand that we're lifelong learners. We aren't in the business of teaching. Rather, we're in the business of learning. I hope you enjoy this episode. Again, if you would be so kind as to subscribe and leave a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Share the podcast with others who would find it useful. And if you have something you want to share or if you want to be featured on the show, reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Just Start Tech or reach me by email at endagrote at cbc.org. Remember, learning never stops, it just starts. Oh,